0: We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio.
1: It's no secret that the brokenness of our world has created lines of separation and unhealed rifts between groups of people, even in the church. And in his new book, Love Outside the Lines, Beyond the Boundaries of Race, Difference, and Preference, Jimmy Rollins, who's with us today, equips followers of Christ to pursue unity. By listening to each other's pain and experiencing the beauty of culture, which leads to healing. And we have Jimmy Rollins with us this morning. He is a nationally recognized speaker, a coach, and an author. Years of pastoral work of, on this very subject of bringing people together. Good morning, Jimmy.
0: Good morning, Sean and Perry. How are you?
1: Good. It's so good to have you with us. And you're coming to us from Florida.
0: From Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida.
1: You're going to get a little sunshine today, too, probably.
0: Absolutely. It's already beautiful outside.
1: We're so grateful for your heart for this and your passion for this subject. And I'm just curious, are there specific events in your life that kind of ignited this passion? And can you tell us that story?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I believe that there were a few events. I think the first uh, event or culture, if you will, that uh, I received is just from my dad. My dad uh, was a Vietnam vet. My dad was the warden uh, of the Maryland State uh, penitentiary. And uh, diversity was a part of his everyday life. Uh, and uh, what, I, what he noticed and what I've noticed about him is just he had this ability uh, to love anybody, everybody, and anyone. And with that, I grew up with this mentality that was passed down from my dad, even, you know, through experiencing segregation, through experiencing, you know, uh, bouts of uh, racism, even in Vietnam, he was able to always love outside of those lines uh that culturally uh, people just kind of stayed behind and uh, with that, you know he passed that down to me, um, which went on to college uh, had a few episodes. I was one of fifteen African Americans in a college of about 1, 000, uh, students, a thousand students at bible college, and just experienced a few things there uh, that would be could be labeled as misery, but honestly, God was labeling that in my heart as ministry and uh, not allowing those, although hurtful, um, although, you know, could have caused me to, you know, respond differently. Literally, it just broke my heart for the things that broke the heart of God. And through that, God was able to birth this ministry in my heart of reconciliation and repair and bridging the gap. So th- those would be two Um, instances or two values that were passed down to me uh, from a very young age.
2: It sounds like you have definitely experienced some racism throughout your life because of the color of your skin. But I hear you saying that you didn't get bitter about it or, or hateful about it. You know, how were you able to, it was modeled by your dad. Was that just it? Or how did, how were you able not to, to get hateful and angry and bitter about that?
0: Well, I think that throughout the years, you know, of following Christ, you know, as I read the gospel message of Jesus Christ and I see his ministry and I see, you know, the cost of discipleship and the cost of following in the foots of Jesus. I think as Christians, I never see I never saw Christ uh, you know, sacrificed making a difference for the sake of making a point. Mm-hmm. And in that ministry, I feel like as I read Scripture, this gospel message is all inclusive. This gospel message, this Great Commission to go and make disciples of all people, even in Acts, you know, one one eight, when it says, you know, th- this ministry of the Holy Spirit says that, and we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And even when I look at the word uttermost, it really means people that are far from me, people uh, that are outside of my comfort zone, people that I may not prefer. And mm-hmm. so in this message of the gospel, we can't get to racial reconciliation until we first understand spiritual family mm-hmm. uh, and understanding, you know, when we give our lives to Christ that, you know, we, we can't, you know, ostracize the people we're called to love. You know, Jesus modeled this in John 4 when he says, I had to go through Samaria and You know, Samaritan and Jews didn't do life together, but Jesus goes and empowers, has this conversation with this woman at the well and empowers her uh, to go change her city. And I think the message of the gospel, uh, this kingdom message of Christ models unity, it models reconciliation, it models, you know, loving beyond what we prefer. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the gospel message of Jesus.
1: you mentioned spiritual family. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Tell us what it is, but also tell us how you've experienced it. What that has looked like in your own life.
0: Great question. I I think if we look at scripture, you know, this idea of spiritual family, you know, it's it's if we look at it throughout our country, we look throughout our individual families, even those who are closest to us. We'll see that fracture in family uh, happens often. Uh, And a lot of uh, even being married, you know, I've been married 23 years and Irene and I have a ton of differences, (laughs) a ton of differences, you know, often it's said that opposites attract and we allow that. You know, the bond of marriage, you know, the bond of biological family to be super strong, but those fractures come in biological family. And as I look throughout scripture and I look back to this guy, we'll call him Abe or Father Abraham, Mm -hmm. uh, he was called to repair the breach. He was called to this. idea of this love covenant that got destroyed with Adam and Eve, with Cain and Abel, with Jacob and Esau. We see division started in biological family. And so Abraham. God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 as a repair of that breach with him and with this love covenant in God. And all throughout Scripture, as we get from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we see the idea that when we give our lives to Christ, we are all citizens of heaven. We even see in Galatians 3, 28, it says, "...in Christ's family there can be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male and female. Among us, we are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ." Uh, And so this idea of spiritual family is is when I got saved, when I gave my life to Christ, that my ethnic culture, although important, although the color of my skin is real, but my ethnic culture became a subculture to God's kingdom culture, which makes us spiritual family. We that are all bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We all are in need of this love that conquers all. And we are now under that banner. Scripture even says we are adopted. And so the idea of spiritual family is, is that my spiritual bloodline is thicker than my biological bloodline. Mm,
1: that's good. Yeah, Pastor
2: Jimmy Rollins coming to us from Florida, West Palm Beach. His brand new book is <laughs> Love Outside the Lines. Beyond the Boundaries of Race, Difference, and Preference. You know, there's somebody listening right now, they've experienced prejudice, they've experienced racism. Maybe they've been hurt by the church, and they're hurting right now. What can you say to them?
0: Uh, I would say that as we search our hearts, I think we all have to acknowledge the biases and the preferences that we have. And as we begin to go on that exploration and that journey in our own hearts, it gives us compassion for people who may have fractures in their hearts that have caused hurt to us. And as we go on that journey to look at our own hearts, I think it gives me love and acceptance for someone else's path and journey. And then we can start on the route to reconciliation. So that's what I would say first, let's search our own hearts.
2: Jimmy, you had a pivotal day in history class when you recognized the difference between yourself and other students who were white. Talk about that
0: yeah i was uh I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and uh you know to be honest with you, we never talked about it you know it was just young we were playing we you know played games in the streets and adventured in the woods and uh as we begin to get older uh begin to recognize our differences and I was in history class and um, in the history book, there was a, a passage or story about uh, slavery and uh, there was a, a black and white picture of a lynching and someone was being mm-hmm. hung there. And I, I hate to give that graphic uh, detail, but that was what it was in the book. And uh, and it was in that moment that I believe I begin to recognize that our stories weren't the same. Mm-hmm. Our history was not the same, even though we played and we you know ate dinner at each other's house uh where we come where we had come from were two different places and um didn't let that divide us but it definitely um made me very aware of our differences
2: and that's uh, we don't get that as white people it, generally mm-hmm. speaking we don't get that that our histories are different it's like yeah we, and talk about that because you know i I don't have that history. And it's really important Mm -hmm. for us to understand the history of the of the black person in America.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, our history, if we don't acknowledge our history, we, we really can't, you know, prescribe a new destiny. And I think when we realize this is that. First, I just want to say, like, when I'm sharing an experience or when someone's different than us sharing an experience, you know, it's not an indictment on the person who's listening. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think oftentimes when we're sharing experience, it's hard because we feel like we're being judged. You know, uh, we feel like uh, someone is, you know, pigeonholing us or stereotyping even us who is listening, whether you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, you know, or just different you know, husband and wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so listening to understand versus listening to respond is like a key part Mm -hmm. of empathy. And you don't have to have shared experience to share empathy. And Mm -hmm. I think when we are when we're listening to that, as you know, I have a lot of uh, friends who I've interviewed for this book who are white. And we talked about, you know, how hard it is to hear you know, the path of where we've come from and the journey of where we come from. But when we go to the doctor's office, you know, the first thing that they do is get us to fill out this form. And I would love every doctor's office to go digital. So I don't have to keep (laughs) filling out that paper form. (laughs) But on that paper form is history. And as we're filling out that history, they want to know our history. They want to know generational history. And what they're saying is, is like, I need to be able to pinpoint, or I need to be able to go back to the past to figure out what has led up to this point so that we can prescribe something new. And I think it's the same thing in scripture. You know, forgiveness requires repentance. Mm -hmm. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry for past sin. It is acknowledging differences is acknowledging the path up until this point. And so I think it's important for us to embrace the fact that the great physician, Jesus, yes, he forgives us of our sin, but it's when we repent and when we acknowledge. And I think that's a part of history. It's it's important for us to hear history so that we can have a new destiny.
1: That's so good. That is so good. Also, you know, a piece of repentance, I think when we come to acknowledge, uh, when we're aware of our sin, right, and yeah. we, we acknowledge it, awareness is, is huge. It's a huge piece of the puzzle. And hearing the history is a part of the awareness. But also such an important part of repentance is that we turn, that we behave That's differently. So yeah, right. We can't just be aware of it. We need to be acting the way that Jesus would. Tell us a little bit about about that and, and how your book kind of um, helps us to move from awareness and education into how we live like Jesus.
0: Absolutely. Well, what I'm excited about about the book is after every chapter, there are a little reflection questions, and then there's like a prayer. And the questions, you know, I literally worked with friends and, you know, how did this chapter land for you and what's coming up for you? You know, if you've experienced, you know, racism or you've experienced, you know, being prejudged and being calling, uh, being called a racist or even, I mean, we can take it out of racism into family. Because as I'm, as people are already reading this book, it's helping them repair uh, the bridge and the gap or the rift of people who look just like them, who act just like them, who vote just like them, but they're broken in some area of relationship in their family. And what it's doing is it, it's really these reflective questions and these prayers at the end is first saying the practicality of it is God search my heart,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like God help me to acknowledge the areas that I have overlooked, the people that I've outcasted unknowingly or knowingly. You know, God helped me, you know, to, you know really visualize the visible lines or invisible lines that uh, a lack of proximity could have caused me to draw. Hmm. And once we ask those questions, then we can say, now God, carry me outside of those lines. Help me to interact with people that you interact, that Jesus interacted with. Help me notice uh, people that are different than me. Help me embrace the beauty of diversity. You know, I always say that the beauty of diversity shouldn't hinder the Great Commission. It should help us fulfill it. And I, I believe that asking God to help me notice. And then that next part is bring me into relationship with people who are different than me and give me the grace, the heart and capacity to not think alike, but to think together. And I think that those are, those are some very practical steps that, was, that we could all take to say, search my heart. You know, this book is not a book of, it's not going to give you three ways to solve, you know, division. Mm-hmm. This book is saying, God, take me on a discipleship journey to teach me to love like your son, Jesus Christ. You know, I, prom- I made a promise in the beginning of the book that you will not be judged, you will not be uh, pigeonholed or stereotyped because of past convictions or the lack of thereof. But God help me to see what you see. And I think this bridge, this, this reconciliation needs to happen in our country. It's not going to happen from letting, me letting everybody know what I'm against it's going to be taking people on the journey to me letting everyone know what I'm for Mm. and I'm for grace and I'm for uh, the Bible and I'm for repentance and forgiveness. And so, um, yes, I've been hurt. Yes. I've been profiled. Yes. uh, I've been falsely accused in different seasons of my life as a young man, a young African-American man, but I'm saying my yes to Jesus is greater of revisiting the yes of my pain in a way that's, bringing pollution, not solution. Mm. And so that's what I'm after is solution.
1: Jimmy, you had an experience at Great Rift Valley in Kenya. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I was on a missions trip uh, to Nairobi, Kenya, visiting an orphanage there uh, that we have. And I was going to Nukuru, uh, Kenya, which is about a three-hour drive, and we had to drive like literally through the bush. I mean, it, was, it wasn't the zoo. There were really mm-hmm. big animals, <laughs> dirt road, and our van broke down. Uh, and in that time that our van broke down in the Rift Valley, I wasn't going to get out of the van because uh, <laughs> I, was, I was slow and the big, biggest and looked like a great meal. And it was in that time that the Lord really began to speak to my heart and download the vision uh, for my life and really felt called to this um, area of reconciliation and called to love people uh, that wouldn't love me back and called to uh, honestly uh, help just bridge the gap and uh, called it being a bridge builder, which is the, the willingness to be walked on by both sides, if you will. And uh, it was in that Rift Valley that God began to repair some rifts in my biological family back home that I had to get things right so that he, I could walk out the call of repairing the rifts in our spiritual family. Uh, and it was that missions trip honestly was the catalyst to put me on mission that I returned to the States to to be a part of uh, letting the world experience God's heart, of love, uh, that's unconditional and unreserved. Uh, and, uh, I've been on that journey ever since.
1: God is so good. He does the work in our hearts and then he shows us kind of like a pathway, right? That we can, Hey, I can leave some breadcrumbs and maybe somebody else can find their way as well. What were some of the things that you needed to come back and deal with?
0: Uh, I had a rift in my family with my mom and my dad and, you know, just our differences of how we saw church. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a predominantly African-American church. And I really felt like, you know, in this call uh, that I wanted to bring diversity to our church. And, you know, in that process of being immature, in that process of thinking back then, uh, you know, this is in my young 30s that I knew the right way and everything. I didn't I think I had the mission from God, but I definitely didn't have a godly method. Mm. <laughs> it was anger and frustration and, mm. and all of that. And uh, I had some work to do of, of repairing that through you know saying I'm sorry, through asking for forgiveness of my approach, through seeing life and their vision from a different perspective. And as I begin to do and embrace what God had called them to do what they were doing. Wasn't wrong. God was just calling me to something different.
1: Right?
2: You know, as followers of Jesus, we need to be people who pursue racial reconciliation, Mm -hmm. you know, to be bridge builders. And so give us, give us a step, maybe a a second step because, you know, we'll only remember a couple of things, but a couple of steps we can take even today to be people who pursue racial reconciliation.
0: I would say uh, just listening, I would say, and leaning into the conversation past, you know, national news. Like this is scriptural. This is Mm -hmm. the gospel message is something that we have to live and walk out every single day. Uh, And so I I would say seeking out relationships with people who are different than us, people who don't, you know, vote like us, look like us, or even like us, uh, I think is a part of walking out the gospel message of, of Jesus Christ. And I, I would say that a very practical thing is asking God to uh, expose and forgive the areas in our individual hearts so that we could take on and embrace the heart of Jesus.
2: Well, I don't know about you, but I love the kind of questions that show us what we're made of, like the three questions my brother Nate asked me a while back. These are the three my brother Nate asked me. What fires you up? Then what breaks your heart? And last, what can't you shut up about?
1: Those are great conversations. I mean, conversation starters, right? To not just like hear about what you did last week or whatever, but to really get to the heart of matter, Mm -hmm. the heart of the person.
2: Right. What fires you up? What breaks your heart? What can't you shut up about? Mm. So what fires me up? I'm fired up about achieving and creating. The dark side is doing it for my fame. Mm -hmm. But when I'm achieving for the Lord's fame and for the good of others, and when I'm empowering others to make God famous and to bless the world, that fires me up.
1: And you're good at it. You're gifted at it. Well, thank you. I mean, it, both the achieving and the creating, because the achieving, you know, that can be seen as competitiveness and it can be seen as only a negative thing. But when it causes you to get better and better at what you do, that's a good, that's a good and beautiful thing.
2: Yeah. And the Lord is, is working that in my heart. I haven't arrived, but um, it, and it's a journey, but it, it is awesome to be able to use your, your gifts, whatever they are, whatever fires you up mm-hmm. to use that to empower others. Yeah. That's what we were given these gifts for. And then, what breaks my heart? You know, on a really, really big, big level, it breaks my heart that Satan rebelled, causing humanity to fall for the sole purpose of destroying God's good creation, especially us, you and me, mm-hmm. his image bearers. That breaks my heart. To think that Satan and his minions' sole purpose is to completely destroy God's good creation makes me angry. Right. And then it breaks my heart to see all the ways creation and people are being destroyed. The thief comes to kill, steal, and just destroy. That's his job description. Yeah. And it just breaks my heart.
1: Mad and sad can sometimes be like kissing cousins. You know what I mean? Like really hard to, to differentiate. Like, am I mad right now or am I actually really sad? You know, you talked about the righteous anger. Mm-hmm. But then also it's the thing that breaks your heart.
2: Yeah. Well, both of those things come out of your heart being broken, being angry and being sad.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. It's just because, because this creation is falling and this hit me real, real life. The day I got the news that my daughter-in-law, Bree, had cancer. It was about a year ago and getting the FaceTime from my son, seeing him weeping as he told me the news. I mean, that just, that's not what any dad wants to see. And, and then going home, falling on my face and just weeping. Praise to God, Bree is healed. Yeah. But so many more don't get the healing. This is a broken world.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the brokenness of a broken world breaks my heart. And last, what can't I shut up about? Just how beautiful that sweater looks, Shauna. <laughs> I thought
1: you were going to say basketball. <laughs> There's a lot of basketball talk. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, what what I can't shut up about is that Jesus found me at my worst. He embraced me. He said, I love you and follow me. And what I can't shut up about is that no matter how broken the world is, you know, back to what breaks your heart. I stubbornly believe in hope that Mm -hmm. hope wins. I'm just going to believe that. Yeah. That despair will die that everything is working for the good and that one day all the sad things will come untrue through Jesus. I think we got to get stubborn about that. Yeah, Stubborn about hope.
1: Right. Stubborn about knowing, well, it's knowing the end of the story, right? Because we're living this story. What we're living through is very, very real to us. But what's also equally real is the end of the story and knowing that God wins, Mm -hmm. that we win. You know, Mm -hmm. we're on God's team and that we win and there's a great victory. We don't always feel victorious in the middle. You know, when you're down by 40 points, you just don't feel like there's any way you can pull it off.
2: That reminds me of a score against Alpina in high school. Did you guys have
1: a major comeback or something?
2: No. No, it was we lost to Alpina 104 to 39.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's painful.
2: But yeah, we do need to be stubborn about hope and that hope wins and you know that that happens we get that stubbornness through going through hopeless times and realizing that god is there that he's that light that shines when all other lights Mm. go out
1: yeah i just read last week that hope is like a golden cord that like pulls our hearts towards heaven Mm. you know so we need to the more we keep our eyes fixed on jesus the more we feel that pull
2: yeah yeah and the last thing that really fires me up is that Abba loves me? Mm-hmm. Me. Even me. Yeah. That blows me away. It's good news. He loves me, he loves you.
1: I've got this cool church family down in Wayland at Gun Lake Community Church. And yesterday together, we looked at Mark 2 and the story. I think when I start to tell you about it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that story. But anyway, it's Jesus returns to Capernaum and a lot of people heard what he had been doing. And so he kind of gathered a lot of attention. And when he came back to Capernaum, people were gathering around him and he started to preach the word to them, the word of God. And there were some men who came to the house and they brought with them a friend who couldn't walk and he was lame and he was on a mat, the paralyzed man. It says there were friends who brought him, but four of them carried him, which is interesting because i would never caught that before. I just assumed there were only four people, but maybe more. I don't know. Anyway, check out the scripture. It's all in Mark two, but they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they get up on a roof and then they dig a hole and they lower him down in and And Jesus says that his sins are forgiven. We see the guy laying on the mat and this ruffles kind of some of the feathers of the religious people. They get a little upset about that because they're like, only God can forgive sins. Well, Jesus is obviously revealing to them that he is God. He was talking to the religious people at this point. He said, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins So then he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Verse 12, he got up, he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this.
2: There's a great scene of this in The Chosen. I can't remember what season it is. I don't think it's season one. It might be season two of The Chosen. Anyway, you, you, did you watch that?
1: I don't remember this episode. I mean, I've, I think I've seen both season one and two. I haven't seen any of the episodes in season three yet.
2: Well, it's in one or two.
1: Okay. I'm not sure which one it is then. I don't remember this one. Yeah, Tell but, me more about it. Well, my- it's
2: just amazing. They 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 have this scene in, in The I Chosen. I did see it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because one of his friends in the episode of The Chosen, one of the friends of the paralyzed man, is an African gal or, yeah, I remember it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Tamar, I believe it is. Maybe not. Anyway, they do it so well. <laughs> It's just so powerful.
1: Incredible scene. But in this story, there's tons of things that we can take away from the story. You probably have heard this story and it came along with the lesson, something like, you know, be a good friend, take your friends to Jesus, you know? And that's a great great message from the story. You know, we could talk about being offended by what Jesus is doing. Like the religious people were, there's just tons that we can grab from here. But here's what stood out to me yesterday. It was three words in the passage. And it's this, he got up. Jesus said, "Get up, take your mat and go home." And the man, this man who had never walked before, he stood up and he took his first steps with this crowd of people watching him. I mean, this is a very public moment. There were so many people there they couldn't fit everybody into the house. People were gathered around, looking in the windows, and this guy does something he's never done before in front of everybody was super scary. It was super public, but Jesus said it. So he did it anyway. And I just, I don't know. I'm so encouraged by the obedience of this paralyzed man. And then he got up and because he did, his life was changed forever. And I think part of why this is hitting me the way that it is right now is because God is telling me to do something that I've not ever done before. And I'm nervous about the aspect of like, I don't feel super savvy in this area, and I'm just learning, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't want to do it publicly. <laughs> I want—I guess I like to figure things out. Actually, it reminds me of when—when um, when my daughter Brynn was three years old. She loved to dance, and she wanted to go to dance class and begged us to take her, and we took her, and she refused to participate with the girls. She sat on our lap and sat on the side of the room, and she just wouldn't participate. And we're like. Brynn, you begged us to sign you up for dance class and here we are and why aren't you dancing? And she's like, because I don't know how to do it. Hmm. She was terrified to to do something in front of other people that she didn't know how to do. And well, I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree (laughs) because here I am admitting God's asking me to do something. God's telling me, he's not asking me, he's telling me, this is what I have for you and this is what I want you to do. And yeah, I'm just dealing with all of it, feeling scary. You know what though this is what encourages me another thing not just his obedience but listen to this if you keep going in the scripture verse 12 says he got up took his mat walked out in full view of them all and this amazed everyone and they praised God saying we've never seen anything like this before
2: Sometimes we just want to stay where we're at I think maybe that's why Jesus at times would say do you want to be healed mm. You know why yeah. why would he ask that to a person who's who's not well. Right. Do you want to be healed? And uh, because we get stuck and we think that's all there is. And we're hopeless and the hopelessness and despair keeps us from taking that step that God will just pour his power into.
1: Right. And when we look at the story of the paralyzed man, you know, for Jesus to say, get up, take your mat and go home. And for the guy to look up at him and say, I can't, I won't. I don't think I can. Like, can we do this privately? Like, do you know what I mean? Like all the possible outcomes there, but he, he didn't. The next words are he got up, he obeyed and his obedience caused other people to praise God. And if my obedience can do the same, man, I want to do what God's telling me to do. I want to do what Jesus is telling me to do. So what is God telling you to do today? Do it. It could change your life forever. Forever. It could change the lives of lots of people around you as they start praising God and seeing Him for who He is. Let's be obedient. Our obedience matters. Thanks for listening to
0: Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.